Fiona, good to be talking to you in San Francisco. Long distance. Um, maybe you'd like to kick off and give us a recap of what you did, age 18 to 30. Yeah, so during the, that time, this is the period 1977 to 89, I was living in Paris, then Suffolk, and London. And so I will talk you through chronologically where I and how I ended up in each of these places. Okay. So aged 18, so 1977, I moved to Paris with my father and middle sister. My father had taken a job with IBM and my mother was going to come out about six months later, at which time my sister left. So I spent my time that year that I was there going to the Alliance Francaise in the morning to beef up my French, au pairing in the afternoon and partying in the evening and going to a million different concerts. It was the first time I saw David Bowie. Oh, wow. When my mother came out, there was a sort of overlap between myself and her by perhaps around three months. And then I returned to England in 1978. So perhaps before I go any further, I just wanted to backtrack and say what had happened is that we had had a big house in London and a cottage in the country. And then when I was 15 years old, my parents sold both properties and we ended up with a large house in Suffolk in the same village where we had had the cottage and we ended up with a flat in London. And effectively, my parents handed off the reins of raising us to my grandmother. And in, the, in my O-level year, I actually ended up at three different schools. So it's a little bit earlier than 18, but I think it sort of sets the scene as to some of the things that happened mm. as a result afterwards. So I went, um, I went out, as I say, to Paris with my dad, came back and having not done very well with O-levels, ended up in that year that I was, um, sorry, in that year that I was uh, at three different schools, I ended up retaking my O-levels and then moved to Paris. So and when I returned... Sorry, sorry. So do you, do you want to explain for everyone why, why this happened? So my parents decided... Okay, so my parents... We had been spending a lot of time as a family, particularly the kids. I have two sisters who sort of fell in love with Suffolk and decided that we would basically make Suffolk our base, but our parents would stay on in London uh, during the week and come out at the weekends to be with us. But that's actually not what happened. They really made London their base and we didn't see much of them when we did this switch to moving the kids to Suffolk and my parents staying in London. So what happened is I spent this year with my dad or, or thereabouts in Paris. When my mum moved out, there was this overlap of about three months. And then I came back 
to England and went back to Suffolk, where I attended a year of college, like a community college, doing a secretarial course where I learned how to type on an old-fashioned typewriter, and I took shorthand, and there was some aspects of, back, uh, of business tied into that course. And so that's what I did during that year, uh, re-established friendships that I had made earlier, uh, hanging out with the biker boys who would come over most evenings to our house. Um, we had a lot of free reign, uh, myself and my middle sister, and in the evenings we would be listening to music and or riding off into the distance on motorbikes, and that was kind of our life. Uh, but once college that year finished, I moved to London and I moved into my parents' flat, and I got um, a flatmate, and we paid rent, a peppercorn rent, to my parents, and I got my first job as a secretary in a secretarial pool working at Airfix Industries, which is the company that uh, develops model ships and airplanes. Yeah, yeah. And so at that time, I learned a lesson, and I think this is good for everybody. I remember being in the secretarial pool, but I was assigned to a couple of executives, I suppose. And one of them asked me to make him a cup of coffee. And, oh, sorry, a cup of tea with a slice of lemon. Mm. And I said, you know where the kitchen is, you know how to make it, do it yourself. And I got this glaring look at, in my, uh, at me and he said, well, it was clear that I had to go and make him this cup of tea. So I went to the kitchen, I grabbed a tea bag, something I wasn't really used to doing, and made this black tea with a slice of lemon, passed it to him, and he came sputtering out into the secretarial pool and said it was absolutely disgusting. I didn't know that coffee bags is, even existed at that time, and uh, I never had to make him another cup of, co cup of tea because I'd actually given him coffee with a slice of lemon. Anyway. <laughs> So I learned my lesson that when when I was asked to do something, I'd better get on and do it. Mm, yeah. So that was kind of an interesting job in itself because while I was there, they had a, a, a strike. And I remember sitting in the typing pool and all these employees, presumably from the factory, were turning up and milling around where I was typing and threatening the, the company. Anyway, so I didn't stay there that long, but I think I would have then found my second job, which was with cable and wireless, probably through an agency or an advertisement in the newspapers. That's it was really one of those two options for getting jobs in those days. Yeah. But I went to work for cable and wireless. In London. And in London. Mm. Uh, the ethics industries job was also in London. By this stage, I was, it was 1979, I was 20 years old. 
perhaps I was 21 when I went to Cable and Wireless. And I ended up working for a Zimbabwean gentleman who was called Mr. Cox. And up until that age, I was just Fiona Cox. And I then had to start calling myself Fiona Raymond Cox because it was just too confusing to have two Coxes in the office. Mm -hmm. And I was his personal secretary. He was super, super pushy. But it was hugely beneficial to me for two reasons. First of all, I ended up as a secretary taking shorthand and typing for him. And he pushed me to increase my shorthand speed from 110 words per minute to 130. But I also got the uh, opportunity to start learning how to use a computer. This was really early days. Mm. And I got my own uh, Wang computer. And so that was starting to be my foray into moving away from typewriters and learning how learning the world of computers right mm. and i was with him uh, and cable and wireless probably for a couple of years and in that time i i started to learn to drive and i had pre when i was about 16 failed my driving test I wasn't really interested in learning again. But once I moved to London, I had this job. I got an old banger of a car. And I made my driving instructor pick me up from my home and drive down to the office. And also around this time, so this is probably the years 1980 to 82, I ended up buying a flat, and so from that flat, I would drive down to Cable and Wireless, and I did pass my car and my driving test. You were like 23, 20 to 25. I was probably around 23 years old. So mm. 1982, I would have bought my flat in Crouch End. North London. North London, and I would be driving to work, and at time when I bought my flat, I paid £25,000 for it. Wow. And <laughs> at that point, I actually bought it with a boyfriend that I had met probably 18 months earlier. And we, we agreed to, you know, to buy this together. Mm. At this, around about the same time, I actually left Cable and Wireless and went to work for, well, I'm not sure quite the order, but I went I went to work for a law firm and called Lovell, White and King. And at that time, I made some very good friends at that firm. And I was there, I had found that job through a temp agency. So even though I was a secretary, I was I was still there. I was learning to type on a on a computer, right. and I was doing my work on a computer. But the person I went to work with um, was very very difficult, and I just thought I'm not going to stick this for very long. It was a really interesting job, 
in intellectual property, uh, so IP, but it was just, he was so difficult. I'm super, I'm a super organized person and I would have everything neatly lined up and he would come in and he would just sweep everything onto the floor, literally with his arms. It was just really, he was erratic. And so I said, I wasn't sticking with this. And he, he said, oh, please don't leave, please don't leave. And I said, no, I can't, can't put up with this any longer. But I did wait till he found somebody else. And then I went to temp at another company, which happened to be Investcorp, which was an Arab investment bank, Bahraini based. And I was, again, working as a secretary but I had nothing to do. So I asked if I could help in their IT department. And that really was the forerunner for everything that I did going forward. So what, what year was this? What year would this have been? So this would have been around 83, 1983. So I would have been 20, 23, 24 years old. Right. Okay, so this company is was fantastic. It was it had pots and pots of money. It had a but it was in a house on Brook Street, maybe five or six stories. It had a butler. It all its paintings were bought at Sotheby's and Christie's. It had deep plush carpets. It it was just incredible and i i ended up staying there for cl close on five years but let me tell you how i ended up getting the job there so as i said i went originally as a temporary secretary i was board stiff got involved with helping them out in their it department there was just one other it person and i said they were asking me if i wanted a job with them and i said no I'm planning to spend three months traveling around the USA on my own. And it's something, it was a dream of mine. Right. And ultimately we came to an agreement that they would pay me while I was off touring the USA for six weeks. So I, um, and that they would hold the job open until I came back. Right. And I got, I moved from being a secretary to an IT system administrator role. Mm. And the and the first thing I did was I was purchasing Wang PCs that cost ten thousand pounds each, and each one had an IBM color card in it. And the reason that this sticks in my mind was that it was around this. Well, it hadn't been that long before that I'd paid twenty five thousand pounds for my flat. Yeah. <laughs> And here I was buying two and a half, you know, PCs. And these, crazy. and these PCs, just to put it in context, because for the listeners, this is this is very early days of computers. So this, yeah. the, the ten thousand pound PC is is for a person to use at their desk. Absolutely. The kind of thing that we might yeah. pay a tenth of the price for today. Yeah, and they were really, really super heavy. They were not a laptop, they were a PC. You would have it sort of stored under your desk. Um, I was literally pulling up floorboards in the computer room 
and patching cables through to a patch panel, much like an old fashioned telephone PABX system. Oh, yeah. So look that up, guys, because if you don't, <laughs> don't know what that was, uh, it's how old telephone systems worked. Well, it wasn't that different with patching cables from the, the main system through to the to the computers or um, PCs that were sitting at executives' desks. And this, you were teaching yourself. You were learning on the job, basically, weren't you? This is I not, absolutely you no training on the job. Yeah. It, I learned, I started learning at Cable and Wireless, and I continued to pick things up when I went to work for Lovell White and King, the law firm, and then really this was absolutely learning on the job at InvestCorp. Yeah. And so InvestCorp is a really super interesting company because, as I said, it was a Bahraini-based investment bank, but they were acquiring private companies. So when I was there, they acquired Tiffany's, they acquired Shomei, two high-profile jewelry companies. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they bought Arrowroot. They owned Reva, which is a super high-end custom uh, yachting, boating company, and so on. And, and so Gucci. now, fast they, they forward. Own, they owned Gucci for a while. Well, hold on. I was going to say yeah. fast forward to 2021, and House of Gucci, the movie, has just come out starring Lady Gaga, and it talks about... InvestCorp's acquisition of Gucci, but that had happened after I left. So I was yeah. with the company for about five years, and the only reason I left was that there really was no more, there was nowhere for me to grow. We were a IT department of two people, and the other person I reported to, and she was not going to leave, and so I left. Right. Where, where, anyway. was, where was the boyfriend through all this time? Was, so was this, during these, you, you got your place in Crouch End. Were the two of you just living a nice, cosy couple's life? Well, I thought we were. So let me tell you what happened. So we had a two-bedroom flat uh, on a fairly main road uh, with the bus stop directly outside. We were We were above a a shop, uh, like a, a news agent's, mm. and there was uh, a flat above that, and we were at the top. And actually, it was a very nice flat, but it was just a bit of a funky area, I would say, mm. and a little noisy. So whenever the bus came to a grinding halt outside, that was fine, but you'd be watching something on TV, and as the bus tried to pull off, you know, whatever you were listening to or watching was kind of drowned <laughs> out by the bus. So was keen to sort of move move away but we we didn't have a lot of money so whilst the the house seemed or the flat seemed cheap by today's comparisons it wasn't it was market price yeah. and so we we had flatmates and for many people associated with the baby group they may have met Paula my, my oh, yeah. one of my besties who's from New Hampshire originally, but she moved from the USA to London and became our flatmate 
uh, both Simon, my boyfriend, and Paula and I were all following strict macrobiotic diets at the time. And we were going to the macrobiotic center in Old Street in London. And that was kind of my life in London. We had, um, we had, uh, we were doing a lot of cooking classes and learning about the philosophy about around macrobiotics. And that was what we were doing. And so she moved in. And I have to say, here's another lesson to youngsters. Simon and I had actually been talking about moving to the US. Her, uh, his sister had married an American and was based in Philadelphia. And they were deep into the macrobiotic community as well. And Simon and I had talked about moving to the US together to be close to his sister and brother-in-law. And I gave Simon an ultimatum. If we were going to move together, we needed to get married. And he said, no. And he went and I stayed behind. No. And Paula then became my flatmate and he left. So what year did he leave then? So he left in 1984. So I was 26, okay. around 20, 25, 26 years old. And what about his share of the, of the apartment that he owned? So this is an interesting one. He did not, he, he, he didn't continue to contribute rent, yeah. but he still owned it with me. And it was really at my parents pressing a couple of years later that I ended up buying him out. Yeah. And it's funny, it was, you know, from my perspective, I wasn't really... I, I didn't feel compelled to sell it. We we were actually in some ways still with together. We he would come back to England and he'd just stay with me and I'd go to Philadelphia and we continued our relationship even though we weren't really together. It was kind of one of these right. awkward situations. Friends with benefits, but it was, call it these days. Friends with benefits, exactly. <laughs> and so that continued until one time I turned up in the US and he was with uh, with somebody else. And that was like, okay, that. But then I knew it was, was well and truly over. And I think that that's what prompted my parents to push me to, to buy him out. Okay. But it was interesting. I still had the place when uh, Paula probably was staying with me for off and on for a couple of years. She would go off to Greece for months and months and months on end and then come back and move back in. And then she'd go off again and for months and months and then she'd come back again. And at some point, I think it was probably around 1986, a friend of mine, an Aussie friend, moved into the flat. And I had met him when I was working uh, at Lovell White and King, the law firm. Mm. So he, was, he became my flatmate. In fact, he was then the person that introduced me to another boyfriend, um, an Englishman, who was kind of vivacious and fun to be with, and who travelled the world for 18 months after uni. And it was he was just great to be with. He's quite amusing. We're still 
in fact, I'm still in contact with Simon, I'm still in contact with David, and it was great fun. So by this stage, I just trying to think, I'd probably, uh, oh, well, I think in 1987, uh, David and I, even though actually we had split up, traveled to China together. We had talked about going off to China for a month and traveling around. And whilst he wasn't my boyfriend, again, I would say he was my squeeze when we were in China, and then we just went our separate ways when we got back. Right. But he gave me the confidence to travel on my own. And what's more, I, at that point, I decided to start saving all my holidays. So we would get, a, get one month's holiday a year, and I used, I would save up all four weeks, and I would take that time to go traveling. And I think that stemmed from my six weeks touring the USA. And then this trip to China gave me this confidence to travel more independently in countries where I didn't necessarily speak the language and just to save up my holidays. So that became like my love and passion for things outside of work. So actually, in some ways, it sounds like we have David, this ex-boyfriend, to thank for introducing you to China and Asia. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. And the interesting thing is that we met in those days. What you could do is you could act as a courier to get a really, really cheap flight to different parts of the world. And they would have one space available per day to Hong Kong. So he went the day before me with literally a day pack uh, and he had shipped his sleeping bag or uh, ahead of time. And I went the next day and had done something similar. I had all my clothes in a day pack for a month and I had, I must have sent my sleeping bag ahead of time but I don't remember having much more than a day pack for that one month that I was traveling around. And I do remember having one pair of trousers, one dress, two pairs of shorts and two tops. And I had to keep washing them out as I, as we traveled <laughs> together. But we met it. We met in Hong Kong. Uh, the night I arrived, we were taken to a girly bar. And I just, I have to say Why that you? I think I met the the what by, by David and his friends. Uh. And I just thought that Hong Kong was awful. I thought it was the worst of the expat community. <laughs> and we were there for about three days before we set off and traveled by train throughout China, maybe five or six destinations spending you know, no more than five, the equivalent of say five pounds a night in Beijing in a hotel all the way through to the cheapest was a pound in Guilin. <laughs> and we just, we just, we had, we didn't book anywhere in advance. We just pitched up in different cities and we found places to stay. And I just loved it. Wow. We ended up in Shanghai and somehow met some African gentleman who was at college 
in in Shanghai and I, I just, I don't know, we stayed at the Peace Hotel for next to nothing uh, for a few nights and then somewhere else. Oh no, I, actually, I think we stayed in the, the I, I think I correct myself. We, we ended up staying at the university where this African gentleman that we met probably on a train was staying and studying. And then one night we ended up at the Peace Hotel listening to the jazz band and it's fantastic. And I just love China. And when we went back, we, we, we ended up in Guangzhou and then taking a bus to the Macau border and walked across from China into Macau, stayed at the Bella Vista Hotel, <laughs> uh, sat. It was really, really run down in those days. It was green, peeling paint. We sat out on the veranda having a PIMS, and there was a big rat running around. <laughs> and I thought it was one of the most romantic evenings of my life. <laughs> and then we went back to Hong Kong and then back to this expat community that I just thought was dreadful. But there we are. And then this was a holiday, so then you went back to work in Investcorp. And then I went back to work, yes. I was still working for Investcorp. Uh, but in 1988, I left there because there was really, as I say, nowhere to grow, there was just the two of us in this IT department, so nowhere to grow. And so I left and went to work for Manpower, the recruitment company, and they had an IT consulting practice. Right. So while IBM was selling their AS400 mid-range systems, we in the consulting practice were providing consulting services to help companies with the implementation of that hardware and as well as software services. Right, right. And so I would go out to client sites. And I think this was my real foray into the consulting world, which has led me to really what I do today yeah. with my own business. Yeah. So this would have been sort of, I would have been around 28 years old in 1988. And I think my friendship circle was a lot of people that I met through work in those in, at that time, going to a lot of theatre, going still going to a lot of concerts. Um, what about, yeah, what about that, going, that was sort would, of my life? Would you go home regular, you know, every other weekend or something with your mum and dad in Suffolk or? So my parents moved back from Paris. Let me see. In, so they moved to Paris in 1977. They returned to London uh, seven years later. But we really didn't spend a whole lot of time together. Right. We, were, we, we saw them, or I would see them, but I, I think it was really when I bought my next flat um, in Maida Vale, probably around 1988, and I was living maybe about a mile and a half from them, that I began to see a bit more of them. But we really had led very independent lives for my parents. Right, right. And it was probably when I bought my 
flat in Maybelle that I began to spend a bit more time with them and sort of get to know them again, at, you know, as an adult. So that was probably when I was around 28 years old. Right. So much of, much of those preceding years, you know, with Lovell's, uh, you know, flatting Crouch End, etc., Investcore, it wasn't as if you were heading out. It wasn't um, a stereotypical London girl of that time who would be working during the week and then out to the country at the weekend. Not not so much that. No, not really. We, I mean, my sisters were in the country. My grandmother was there, so I would go. But it wasn't. It. I would probably say it was once every three months I might go. It wasn't. It, we would all spend Christmas together mm. Mm. Uh, in Suffolk. Um, I would have the while actually in my parents' flat when I was renting from them. We had these wild, wild, crazy parties, mm-hmm. um, and so there was pl- there was plenty of partying going on. Let me tell you. That was with your sisters then when you were all living there. No, my sisters weren't there, but it was no. Uh, or maybe my middle sister, my youngest sister, is about three and a half years younger. She was much more homebody. Right. Uh, one of my my middle sister got married at aged eighteen, oh, wow. and so she was off living her own life. And my other sister got married at twenty. So by the time I was say twenty three and a half, both of them were married. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You were very one, much, yeah, so one one was married at eighteen, and the other one actually she she wanted to not get married um, when she was twenty one, but she actually got married at age twenty. Right, right. So so, were you were you the exotic uh, older sister enjoying London in the eighties? Absolutely, I was out and about. I was a fashionista. I was shopping up a storm. <laughs> uh, that wasn't so good for the bank balance. That that's for sure. Um, but I had this, both flats were really nice, and I had a good circle of friends. Uh, and after that China trip in 1987, the next, uh, I then started saving up all my holidays to spend a month in different countries. So in 1988, I went to Turkey with Paula. Right. That was the year I bought my made of air apartment. In 1989, I spent a month in Mexico. Paula, Paula and I met in Houston and we bussed to Cancun, and which was amazing. Uh, and then that's, so at the end of that year would have been my 30th birthday and I had a totally tropical 30th birthday party where I dressed as Carmen Miranda with what looked like a bowl of fruit on my head as a hat, it was quite amusing. And we had, I had a wild party. And at this time, not a, I had this really good mix of friends, both from uh, really that I'd met through work, many, many people I'd met through work. So I kind of left behind the biker boys and everything um, several years before, um, after leaving Suffolk yeah. and was making my friendships through work connections. And one day I happened to be working at Investors Corp and this fun guy came in 
to meet one of the, my colleagues and said, did we want to go out for lunch? And we did. And to this day, I'm a really good friend of his. Uh, he is a journalist. And I, through him, I ended up meeting a ton of journalist friends we're still really good friends with today. And that group of journalists and I, it was mainly guys and myself and one other woman, we every probably three months would go away for a weekend. We'd take it in turns amongst the group of us to organize a weekend or a few days away, um, whether that was going to a you know, country house, staying in a, a cheap hotel, or renting a longboat on a canal. Right. Um, and so that was that, that. was sort of my friend's circle. So they were they were all there for your thirtieth as well. So they were all yes, they were all there for my thirtieth, and so that was that was really good fun. So that was that was December was, 1989 in London, a Carmen Miranda it, party. Yes, in Maida Vale, uh, I had done up the flat. It was fantastic, uh, but his he was well. Let me let me tell you on the flat front, from a financial perspective, it was disastrous. In those days, and I don't know if this is still true in the UK because I haven't lived there for so long. But when you buy something, you weren't locking in your mortgage. There was no fixed mortgage rates. Right. And so mortgage rates went up with inflation. And so I think it was, well, it was certainly after 89, probably in, 90, well, 90, 1990, 91, that time, yeah. my mortgage became, well, was exceeding my salary. Yes. Yeah. The interest rates were just sky high. I think the interest rates were so like 14%, 14, 14 15%. It was just it was crazy. awful. Yeah. And so I ended up having to move out of my flat, but that was after I was 30. That was probably 31, 30, 32, something like that. So you were part, and I rented party, it out. You were party like 1989. Yes, I was partying like it was 1989. I lived, yes, I was going to a lot of concerts. I also left um left manpower and ended up going consulting in my own right and went to work for Merck Sharp and Dome, the big pharmaceutical company, where somebody was going on maternity leave. And so I I was going to cover while they were out for nine months or thereabouts. And in fact I ended up working with them for a couple of years and I was helping them not because they knew that I had done this work for IBM through Manpower, I ended up helping with the project management of their transition from their AS400 to Wang systems. Right. I was doing a reverse commute, so I was driving out of London to Hertfordshire every day. And on the way out, I'd be listening to radio for the news in the morning and blasting music on the way back. And what happened at the end of 1989, Paul and I decided to meet up again. And this is really instrumental. It goes back to my old flatmate, my Aussie flatmate that I had met at Lovell White and King, who had married uh, 
and had gone to live in Hong Kong and he was due to come back and I had always said to him I would go out and visit them in Hong Kong. So at the end of 89, so at the, so at the end of my 30th year, I went actually to Thailand with Paula for three weeks and then I went to Hong Kong to stay with John and Sue and that first night that I stayed with them, I met Hannah's dad and the rest is history. So that took you through to my 30th year. Just That's brilliant. That's a perfect place to end. So I'm just going to say thank you. You are most welcome. But then I'm going to ask, just in case I need to edit this in, didn't you just say you went to Mexico with Paula in 1989? I went to... Um, oh, I did. Hold on. So hold on one second. 87... Oh, sorry. Uh, 1990. But it was, as I said, at the end of, end of that year, I, hadn't, I was still 30. So right. It, um, right. I so must have gone... It was in 1990, but I was still 30 at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you did. That's correct. Then you said end of your 30th year. Yes, which is yeah, before, obviously 1990. December. I actually had yeah. my 31st birthday in Hong Kong. Right. Funny enough. Oh really? Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And and you know I can't bear those junks but it was on a junk so I remember it vividly <laughs> that's, per that's a perfect bookend that wish to end it that's that's really as I've said to a few people and I put it on the paper I said that you know there could almost be a part two to this but um, anyway let me let's concentrate on getting part one done yeah. first there you go that's my story thank you very much Fee that was great 